This is the CHGO Fire Podcast, and the Chicago Fire are in the playoff picture, sort of. We'll get more into that later, as there's currently a total logjam in the middle of the MLS Eastern Conference standings. My co-host today from Men in Red 97 is Tim Hotze. Tim, thanks for coming in. Excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Ox. I gotta say, though, we gotta comment on, the I think, the kit first, the Oasis FC, which is a deep cut if you are in the Venn diagram of Chicago Fire and Forward Madison fans and were invested in Forward Madison circa 2019. Um, you you know what's going on there. If uh, if you don't, yes, that is a kit for an Oasis that has since been demolished. RIP to the Overpass Oasis in Illinois. We've got a lot of soccer to get to though today. Mainly two games for the Fire. One not so good, one pretty encouraging. And then we're going to take a bunch of your questions at the end of the show. Thanks to everybody, both on Discord and on Twitter for sending in your questions. A reminder that if you are a CHGO diehard, you get access to our Discord server where you can join channels dedicated to each team we cover here at CHGO and chat with not only us, but also chat with other fans about your favorite team or teams. So we're going to get through this first game quicker than the second game, Tim, I think, for a number of reasons, because Chicago Fire won, Orlando City 3. That was never going to be a nine-point road trip, was it? No, it didn't feel like it was. I mean, to be honest, though, if you told me it was a six-point road trip before we set off on it, I would have been thrilled. I think Rafa Chijo said the same thing after that game. Um, It's what it is. Yeah, I think this this game was gravy. I'm not going to dwell on it too much we will go over though some of the highlights of it um the fire almost take a lead early Rafa Shihos has a slam dunk of a header from about two feet out and it's disallowed for offside and you look at the replay and you can't be offside in this play because Orlando is in a dead straight line he would have been able to score this goal even if he had been onside because I don't remember who the Orlando player was who is supposed to be keeping an eye on him, but he totally loses totally him. Totally lost him, yeah. And he's wide open anyway. And you, especially from a veteran player, you'd have to have expected that, come on, man, you got to get that right. Yeah, you said he was uh, about two feet out from the goal, which is kind of impossible because it felt like he was four feet off sides. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, you know, it's what it is, though. Like, the, it's a fraction of a second if he had just held on or if the guy that he thought was marking him had been a little bit fast around the jump is maybe what he was hoping for. Yeah. Um, but the fire played well at like through that segment of the game in the middle of the first half. So yeah, know. 25 minutes in, it's like, okay, we're, we're here. You look at the standings. These teams are about even you're on the road. It's hot, but still, you know, you're feeling okay. Chris Brady makes a couple great saves and, you know, we'll talk more about Brady a bit later in the show with his best save of the last two weeks. But it has been so great to see Chris come back from that injury where he got that cut on his face, missed a couple weeks, hasn't missed a beat, and it really feels like Chris is in cruise control mode now of this is a at least average starting MLS goalkeeper as a 19-year-old, and that is a great thing to be, even if it isn't always flashy. Yeah, and I mean, he's just making key saves and key moments. He hasn't looked intimidated out there at all. Like, he doesn't, he just has stopped making rookie mistakes, like, almost entirely. And, like, that's crazy considering this really is... Like, not technically his rookie season, but the first season that he's a starter. Right. Um, Stop me if you've heard this one before, which is a theme of this show. The Chicago Fire still cannot mark a cross to save their lives. Facundo Torres is the most dangerous player on Orlando City. He's also about 5'9". You can't be leaving him unmarked five yards out. Rafa Shehos, in this case, again, has a bit of a mark against him for just totally losing 
Facundo Torres, nothing Brady's going to do. 1-0 Orlando. And, you know, again, Orlando finds their key guy, and you just you can't make it that easy. On most teams in MLS, there's a very obvious guy you can't allow to beat you, and the fire fail that test here. Because, I mean, I don't know. I, I've said this so many times, and I don't know why I'm saying it again, but, like, the, they need to actually start doing this. Put a guy on each post and then man mark. I don't know why we're playing this zone defense thing. Like it's like we're not playing a basketball game. Like this, like it's not going to work. You just you need to mark guys and you need to make sure that that guy or anyone else that is dangerous, the most goal dangerous person off of those set pieces on the team has at least one person on him. And like the fire have just decided, oh no, we'll just share responsibility and make it a zonal system. And and I don't get, I, I don't get whose idea that was, and I don't get why we're still doing it. Yeah, the, the zonal system is great if everybody is on the same page. It's like there's a reason the elite teams in Europe all do it. The thing is, to your point, if you can't successfully do the zone system, then it is a little odd we don't see the fire go more basic on some of these set-piece defending scenarios. The The caveat here is it's a bit of a broken play. The ball cycled back out. Chios ends up having stepped out and then has to track Torres back in. So it's not the most straightforward, but Orlando takes the lead. They end up taking the 1-0 scoreline into the half. But I do want to dwell here for a moment, Tim. And he he will redeem himself a bit later in the show. Rafa Shehos, though, as much as he is fun in the attack and a great leader and a good passer of the ball, these slight defensive lapses have been certainly more noticeable this season than they were last year. And a healthy Carlos Tehran again means... There's the opportunity for competition at center back. Yeah, 100. It's it's a little surprising, and I don't know if part of it is that the team last year was playing kind of more of a all hands on deck. I mean, all feet on deck, really. Like you know, <laughs> 11 guys playing defense a lot, and I mean that's part of what got Gaga all of those clean sheets last year. Mm -hmm. This year, they've looked more fluid in the attack, but I think that the byproduct of that is that it means you're more exposed on defense, and I think that's part of why it looks like. Rafa has kind of like lost a step. I, I'm not sure if he really has. Like my read is more that it's the team's going up more. Like. I don't know what formation they were technically supposed to be playing for throughout that game, but it really did feel like they were back to having kind of like a three center back sort of system. And I mean, like some of the wing backs were like bombing all the way down the field. Like they were basically level with, you know, strikers at that point. So when you do that, you've, you're more exposed on defense. Sometimes it's, it's what it is that, you know, I, I, I honestly don't fault them there. I just think it's a byproduct of messing around with the system. And that is the thing that when the fire end up in that three back, Shehos ends up on the left side of the back three. He's probably not as quick as he used to be. And while Miguel Navarro has been defensively much improved this season, you're still often asking Shehos to cover a lot of space out there. 100%. So halftime, 1-0. The fire, much like they started the first half well, started the second half well in this game. I think they might have scored in the 50th minute. Um, a Kamara header is... Punched away from the line by Pedro Gallese. Uh, and then Fabi should absolutely score the rebound. I'm not convinced that Kamara header is not over the line. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. How, in the year 2023, do we not have goal line technology in Major League Soccer? I, it's got to be one of the only leagues in the world that has invested in VAR this long and this early that doesn't have goal line technology. It's just, it just, it seems crazy. Now, part of it is, and th this is kind of, you, you can't always have your cake and eat it too, MLS VAR does not include the very close offside checks you see in the European leagues because a couple years ago, Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, just basically made a blanket statement and said, we don't have the camera capability to do that. And between the lines, what he was saying is, 
we're not going to do it. And I actually like that. I like that we don't have to go to the dotted lines and the referees are just looking. Is it they've lumped clear? They've lumped offsides into clear and obvious, even though IFAB has said explicitly don't do that. And so I think where, where MLS might be here is uh, if you put the cameras in, then you've got to do the whole offsides thing. And that's a layer they don't want to add to the referee's plate. And especially in a world where almost all MLS teams are not playing in soccer specific stadiums and the handful that aren't are like the fire, for example, are in a stadium with a million camera positions right. because it's an NFL building. The goal line technology thing is something they could absolutely do if they wanted to. And this is an instance where maybe that ball's not in the net, but it would be nice to know for sure. 100%. Yeah, it, it just makes people feel more confident in the game. So anyway, Fabi should score the rebound anyway. Um, so that should be 1-1. And as typically happens in the sport, when you miss a golden opportunity, you are quickly punished for it. Orlando gets a really cheap penalty kick. Three minutes later, a ball bounces awkwardly up on the Fabi and Herbers' hand. It's a penalty. His arm's out. He doesn't know anything about it. Facundo Torres scores his second of the night, 2-0. Uh, and then, again, the fire have a chance to get one right back. Shakiri sends one into the stratosphere from about 10 yards out. Uh, but then the fire get their own PK. Um but I think there's an opportunity to, to talk here. And we this is can be the one thing we reference about the national game since I didn't have it like clocked as a timeline item for later. Brian Gutierrez either has to get better at diving or needs to stop diving because he bought this penalty. There is contact, but Guti's had a few of these now where he's starting to get a reputation for being a bit light on his feet. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, part of it, I think, is, is a little bit that he kind of knows he's not yet like big and strong enough to like out muscle guys and so it's sort of like you swing too much to the other side of the pendulum but yeah it's it, like you don't ever want to be in a position where you don't get stuff called on you because you've got a reputation as being a guy that will try selling things a little bit too hard yeah and so shakiri scores the penalty he's very good at those so the fire feel like they're back in that game then enrique for orlando scores a really nice curling goal Maybe felt that somebody in that fire defense should have stepped up there, but they're pushing for an equalizer. There's a lot of space. It happens. Uh, Arno Suke picks up a second yellow card, so that's not great. And then it probably should have been 4-1 right at the end. Orlando get like a 5-on-2 jailbreak and totally mess it up. Brady makes a pretty good save in the middle of all of this, but like this is just an example. Even though they won the game 3-1, Orlando's coaching staff is going to be furious because... That's a training ground opportunity, and you've got to score there. I mean, that that's the sort of thing that, regardless of the result, is going to drive everybody nuts. Yeah, I mean, it was that kind of a game, I think, for both sides, to be honest. Like, there were penalties, PKs called on each side. Arguably, there were a couple PKs that should have been called that weren't on both sides. So, like, does it somehow karmically even out? I don't know. I mean, it felt like another game where the referee was getting both somehow like both too involved and at the same time not really controlling the game which you know is what you need because ultimately they're there for player safety um and so it's just one of those things that happens in mls yeah what do you do so the fire gets six points on a three-game road trip i don't really have any other takeaways than that i think the i think the team forgot about this orlando game very quickly and I'm also pretty content with just forgetting about this game extremely quickly. Yeah, I mean, you know, this was a three-game road trip to start the second half of the season. On average, teams in MLS won about a quarter of their road games, so the team should have expected to win two or three total for the rest of the season. They've already got two, so at this point, it's like, you know, they kind of did, you know, mission accomplished, you know, now it's a three-game homestand. Yeah, come home with the homestand, get into the mid-season break, and we're going to talk about the first game of that homestand, that win, 
over Nashville SC. But first, a new sponsor recently here at CHGO I've got to tell you about, and that is Bird Dogs. And Bird Dogs shorts make you look good. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They do the exact same sort of thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. And they fit better than regular shorts, too, that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs have fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And they also use an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. We're really excited here at CHGO. I believe we've got a, a shipment of Bird Dogs on the way to the office right now, so keep an eye out across our shows for hosts and everybody else right here showing off those Bird Dogs in the coming weeks. But right now, you can go to birddogs.com slash chgo or enter promo code chgo for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash chgo or promo code chgo for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, Tim, next up, Chicago Fire 1, Nashville SC 0. Yeah. That's not a scoreline the Fire ever play. The Fire don't win games 1-0, the Fire go up 1-0 in games and blow leads, but uh, not in this one. First game they've ever won against Nashville as well, so. Yes, Aldaxico, is, is it a rivalry now because both teams have won once? Oh, man, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll take it. I mean, it, it's what, like the fifth or sixth I believe game? this was yeah. the sixth game. I believe yeah. the Fire were 0-3-2, and 0-2-3, three losses, two draws up to this point against Nashville. So, yeah, beginning a rivalry. Yeah, I mean, as long as Dax McCarty is there, there's going to be some friendly competition, even though the fire squad is is ever-changing over these last couple of years. If nothing else, Dax and Fabi yeah, can, two guys can reminisce the about the old days. A um, couple notes before we get into the game. We get Yorios Kutsius starting up front as a solo striker for the first time. Uh, that didn't really produce any of the exciting moments I think we were hoping for, but... You know, it's still fun to see him get that opportunity. It was fun to see how he would work with the trio of Shakiri Gutierrez and Halle Selassie playing behind him. Uh, the one other lineup note is Jonathan Dean starts for the suspended Arno Suke. Yeah, uh, it was good to see Kusias get, you know, that many minutes. He didn't really do a lot as a striker, but he also didn't seem like the game was moving too fast for him. So it seems like it's like small tweaks. You know, there were a couple plays there where I think the fire would have had more chances that, you know, Kai Kamara would have finished because of his size and strength, which is George Kuzias doesn't have. But, you know, he didn't look bad out there. And the great thing about it is it meant that, you know, Kamara really doesn't have a lot of minutes on his legs over the past week, despite the fire having to play three games in a span of eight days. Yeah, the team initially tweeted a lineup graphic out and then quickly deleted it that had Kamara starting Kutius in nothing really seems to have come of that Kai came in later in the game and looked fine so I think that kind of calmed any concerns that like there had been like a, a warm-up injury before the game doesn't look like anything of the sort yeah same thing you know Carlos Huron was also on the bench for the beginning of that game you know he's coming back off of an injury fairly recently so I don't know if the, the thought is that he can go 90 but he can't go 93 times in a week or something like that if it's if it's caution or concern there so I just thought it was good sort of like minute management by Frank Klopas. Mm -hmm. And to to kind of put a bow on the Kutis point, the way Nashville sets up, that's kind of a tough spot for Kutis to be in because really what ends up happening against a team that tends to play, in addition to, they've got two pretty tall center backs, Walker Zimmerman, not in this game because he was suspended for a, a red card that wasn't a red card. It should have been overturned. Like that was, it's one of the dumber red cards I've seen in Major League Soccer, maybe this season, if not longer. longer. But hey, the fire will take it. But for a team that generally plays two very tall center backs and then a pretty defensive 
trio of midfielders in front of them, which then gives Hani Mukhtar the license to do whatever he wants, who also doesn't start this game for reasons unknown, but we'll get to him. The best thing really Kutsis can do there is occupy those center backs, stretch that out a bit because that space right in front of the back four where players like Guti and Shakiri want to exploit, Nashville clog that area up a lot. So it's not really a sexy game to be a striker in. Your main job there is really, let's break this up. Let's get our playmakers room to get on the ball. And the fire did that. Okay, I'd say in this game, Nashville, though, do get the first big chance. 12th minute, a great ball by Dax McCarty over the top to Teal Bunbury. Takes a moment to settle himself, but that allows Rafael Shihos, who whiffed on a header initially on this play, to get back in position and make two great blocks. So this is uh, the bad and the good from Shihos here. He totally mistimes this initial ball over the top, but the recovery speed to accelerate, close down Bunbury, and stay with it to make those two blocks. Just huge, excellent last-ditch defending. The, the second one was just phenomenal. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, right as we were all kind of thinking in the back of our heads, we're saying, like, is he losing a step? <laughs> is he slowing down a little bit too much? You suddenly get him just full-on, like, looking like a 26-year-old guy, like, in the prime of his career. Right. And, yeah, it's great to see. Uh, nothing much happens for the following 20 minutes. Nashville really struggling to put anything together, and they're defensively pretty stout, so that keeps the fire largely in check. But then in the 34th minute, we get the opening goal. Um, Jack Mayer, who I believe, I'm not sure who came in for Zimmerman, but Mayer is in that left center back spot where I believe Zimmerman normally plays for Nashville. And to make a football, other football analogy, this play is like when a quarterback thinks he's got a receiver wide open and just doesn't see the linebacker in zone underneath because Mayer thinks he's got an easy pass here to a teammate and he hits it right basically into the chest of Fabian Herbers. Suddenly it's a quick four on two going the other way. Herbers finds Marin Holly Selassie out wide who cuts it back and it's just another thump of a finish from Fabian Herbers. Third goal in four games, 1-0 fire. Yeah, fourth goal so far. He's just one back behind Kai Kamara for the team um, scoring lead at this point, which I did not think I'd be saying. Is that, Yeah, I'm not sure. Is, is that a good... That's a two-sided coin. That's like, wow, Fabian Herbers is one goal off the team lead. The team lead is five? Mm, yeah. That's... Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not phenomenal, but I mean, again, like I... To be honest, like four goals at this point in the season from Fabian Herbers is more than you would have expected at, at any point, especially considering that he kind of has started mostly on the bench this season so and when he plays he's played more in the pivot than he's played in that attacking midfield line so we're going to talk maybe a bit more about him in the mailbag section he does seem to be showing up in the right place at the right time at the top of the box uh quite a bit and is is that a skill when you i think we'll get into that a bit later um not Go ahead. One, one good thing like you know just shout out to Marin Haile Selassie and how quick he was for getting that ball to Fabian Herbers but, you know, one of the issues the Fire have had is there will be those, like, seconds or fraction of a second where there's an opportunity. But by the time that a guy, like, you know, settles the ball down at his feet, looks around and stuff like that, it's completely gone. And he just moves quickly. He sees what's going on. He's got that kind of awareness and the speed to make it happen. Um, and also, uh, while we're on the Marin Haile Selassie topic, shout out to your um, a colleague and former guest host on the show, Alex Calabrese. He interviewed Marin last week. It will still never not be funny that um, Marin is descended from Ethiopian royalty. If you're a history buff and know your history and the name Halle Selassie sounds familiar to you, yes, it's the same one. 
he's related to that former leader. He said that he isn't, as far as he knows. As far as he knows? Yeah, as far as he knows, his family are not related really? to that Really? I'm still going to call him his royal highness, especially whenever he scores. But, uh, yeah, he says that, you know, like, that's when the things cleared up in the interview. So, I, you know, mm. more you know. So, that's, um, a, that's a little bit of a letdown. I know. Well, he can still be royalty for the fire. He can still be royalty for the fire. He might not be technically his royal highness, but anytime it's like, well, that's that's interesting. So maybe, maybe can we can anybody do some more detective work there? Can somebody uh, get Mayor and Helly so Selassie? We need to like get a genealogy.com subscription or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because like, that, that would be uh, that would be a very, very it, fun does genealogy.com do Ethiopia and Switzerland? I, I do not yeah, know. Yeah, that's, yeah, let's, let's see the path there. So no, um, he's come back in from injury. He's looked really, really good. Um, Nashville think they score in the 41st minute to tie it up. Uh, Mayor's called for a push, which may be exaggerated a bit, but it's a yeah. push. No yeah. goal, still 1-0. We get to halftime, and man, do Nashville look bad without Honey Mukhtar. I mean, they have a few chances, but it's really, really clear that they don't know what to do when he's not on the field. It's sort of crazy considering we were just talking about how good their center backs are. You know, we were talking about Dax and how good he still is. And yet without Mukhtar, like that is like the, the heartbeat of that team. And they just are not the same. It just goes to show like what one really good DP signing can do for a, a team in MLS. But yeah, like apparently a slight injury or something like that in training the day before, which is why he didn't get the start. And I mean, thank goodness if you're the fire, because it, it I mean, it really... He is a difference maker, and it was a one-goal game. And then the inevitable, very scary Honey Mukhtar moment comes pretty early in the second half. It's in the 56th minute. Uh, Nashville get a free kick, dead center, 20 yards out from goal. Mukhtar's over it. You know exactly what's coming. And thankfully, so does Chris Brady, who does a great job kind of shuffling immediately to his right, but not overselling it too early, knowing that that's where Mukhtar is probably going, makes a really, really solid save, and certainly one of the highlight reel saves of the season for Brady, especially given who he was denying. 100%. Yeah, he, like, again, like, Brady has just looked good. He's looked confident. He's looked composed. Like, he knew exactly where to be, so he's clearly putting in the work in the video room and everything like that. Like, it just, you know, it's it just is great to see, like, I, I have more confidence now with him making huge saves in, in big moments than than I, than I did with Gaga kind of in his prime. And then I think that I have for the fire since, I mean, you know, you're going like back like decades. Yeah. The, the, the beat, like kind of the read on Gaga versus Brady has been for a long time that Brady was the superior pure shot stopper, but that is a prospect. Um, Gaga looked like the more well-rounded player looked a little bit more comfortable in possession, a little bit more connected. Chris Brady though, was always regarded as the guy who, if, the only thing you were concerned about with was their ability to simply stop shots. Brady had a slight edge on Gaga in that regard. And we're seeing that shot stopping ability throughout yeah, the season. 100%. Yeah. Like same level of confidence, I guess with, with Brady and that almost as, you know, as a U.S. men's national team fan I have with Matt Turner, you know, like that, it, like he just is good at stopping the ball from getting in the net. So we're apparently not the only ones who made this mistake with uh, thinking that Marin Haile Selassie was royalty because apparently the Spanish language broadcast on MLS season pass on Apple TV plus, according to Miguel in the comments, was calling him El Emperador all broadcasts. So we, we got some. OK, somebody's got to clear this up. We need again, we need some professional ancestry researchers on this. And if, if he's not related at all, if he simply ended up with a hyphenated last name, that's the exact same as a fairly notable historical figure who went, who was eponymous of said last name. 
that would be an amazing coincidence and I'd love to hear the story anyway of yep. how that how that even happened even if he's not related at all it's there's a good story there either way somebody with more resources than that on that than us uh, if you could get on that and report back, we would love like maybe like a, a book report or like a, a research paper yeah, submitted something. to CHGO or Men in Red 97. Uh, on Anybody want to take a trip to Switzerland and uh, start digging around? Yeah, and, a- and absolutely. Anyway, uh, Honey Mukhtar almost scores again. Uh, 72nd minute, he rings the post. Then there's just a mad scramble in the box for about 10 straight seconds. That ends with a shot dragged mercifully wide with Brady and the entire fire defense watching the ball roll wide. And you really did get a sense when that one didn't go in. I think that's when you were allowed to start believing the fire might actually be able to see this out. Like if if Hani Mukhtar is going to be denied by a sprawling Chris Brady and then hit the post on a shot that Brady had no chance of saving, maybe Hani's just not going to score tonight. Kind of funny that you're saying that because uh, I think the rest of us were all thinking, here we go again. Um, See, that was my thought earlier in the half. I mean, I'll be totally honest. When I saw Honey Mukhtar come off the bench, it's like I've watched enough Chicago Fire games to know that the most likely outcome of this game is a 2-1 Nashville win where Honey Mukhtar scores both goals. And he had his he had his two opportunities. Just Chris Brady in the post conspired to stop him from getting them. Uh, speaking of amazing goals, you know, there's a joke online these days that there's a Puskas nominee in MLS every match day. Well, Mauricio Pineda almost threw his name in the hat because from all of 30 yards, he just hits the crap out of a ball, grazes the crossbar. And I think, Tim, this is just, it's a, it was a fun get-off-your-seat moment, but I think this is a good opportunity to talk about how good Mauricio Pineda has been these last few weeks, both as a replacement for Carlos Turan, when Turan went down with another injury, that seemed like kind of a doom and gloom moment after he had just gotten back to fitness. But also Pineda being kind of the Swiss army knife of, he can play the first 60, 70 minutes of a game at center back and look good, and then step into holding midfield and do a job there as well. I've really been pleased to see how well Mauricio Pineda has played as of late in particular. 100%. Like he's, you know, it. I don't know why under Ezra Henderson he just wasn't getting minutes because he led the team in minutes overall. I mean, we did switch, you know, starting goaltenders midway through the year in 2021, but he led the team in minutes in 2021 and then just couldn't seem to really get any regular minutes on the pitch last year. Um, It looks like under Klopas, he's kind of once again sort of getting those minutes and he's just been so solid everywhere he's been put on the field and you know he does you know we think of him mostly as a defensive player but he does have the ability you know especially when he's playing in the midfield to kind of like see down the pitch and get off like fairly good accurate passes fairly quickly to kind of start things offensively so it's something that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of yeah I tweeted this from the um the CHGO fire count yesterday when Pineda was named to the team of the match day by Major League Soccer that if the fire are like top couple teams in MLS at anything. Pineda and Shehos' center backs have a better passing range as a combo than just about any pair in the league. Uh, off the top of my head, I think Philadelphia might have something to say about that with uh, Elliot and Glesnes. They're certainly in that category. A couple other teams who might have a shout, but that's a huge asset to the fire. When you talked earlier about trying to play more expansive soccer this year, part of the reason they're able to do that is having center backs who can pass. Right. And, and so, yeah, that's been really fun to see. And, you know, Pineda and I said this about him, and I think he might have kind of gotten typecast. 
he's certainly probably best as the middle guy in a back three. Mm -hmm. That is, if you look at his profile as a, he played as a six in college, but doesn't really have the athleticism to be a solo pivot at the pro level. That is where he fits best. But I think what we've seen this season is he's looked both better as a center back in a two and as a defensive midfielder than he's looked in the past. Yeah, he's just getting more comfortable out there. And, and you know, part of it is like, I think some guys that go the college route, they come in a little bit older and with like a little bit more personal maturity, but like at the same time, it's not like they were really playing high level soccer throughout the year, the way that, you know, guys that came through other pathways were. So it just takes them a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, it just, it's, it's great that the fire now have a, a problem of like having, you know, Carlos Tehran, Rafa Chijos, and Pineda all is like being good, like starting level center backs and normally playing only two in the back. And then Wyatt Omsberg, you know, back from injury, we haven't seen that much of, but he looked really solid last year compared to where we were in early 2022 when it was like, you know, if Chihos was out, it just seemed like nobody was coordinating. Catastrophe. Things. It was, yeah. it was, if, if La Rafa Chihos was out, you could take the money to the bank on DraftKings Sportsbook that uh, over two and a half goals for the Flyers opponent, any game Chihos wasn't in there. And it was, I mean, the lines weren't that favorable because Vegas also knew that that was free money. Um, so no, it's looked much more solid this year. And if this is kind of the system going forward, Carlos Tehran is your closer defensively makes me feel a lot better than no offense to when Kendall Burks was the guy being thrown in the back three Burks being thrown out kind of wide at right back as he was in this game to really just be a lockdown outside guy. That's a much more comfortable situation for everybody. Burks included, I think. So as good as Tehran has been, if that's the system right now, and that also gives you the flexibility if you ever feel like you want to play a back three, you can go Tehran, Pineda, Shehos and feel pretty good about that. Yep. 100%. Um, another couple players we want to touch on real quickly here before we get to the um, the mailbag section. We talked about Chris Brady. He's been great lately. Miguel Navarro, I mentioned, defensively. What an improved player. Um, maybe all it took was a little competition from Aceves to just give Navarro that little push. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen him getting a little bit more mature, kind of like making some better decisions. Mm -hmm. I, I used to think that like, you know, it, he would just get into this mode where it, it's like his brain would just shut off and passion would take over and he would get these stupidest yellow cards you've seen in your life. That has like mostly gone away. So it's good to see that. And with him playing more disciplined, you know, it, it's easier to focus on the good parts of his game. Like he is yeah. really fast. Like, I, you know, he's not going to be as fast as Onosuke, like making it all the way down the field. Right. Like, but he is a, like a competent wing back. Like there were a couple of times when he was in a, a space with tons of room around him, ready to get a pass and it just didn't come his way. I think because people don't yet expect him to be that far up the field in and with space. And so, you know, it's just like another one of those, like, all right, like all the individual elements that we saw are finally coming together in one game at the same time for the guy. And he's still getting call-ins to the Venezuela national setup. He's a pretty locked-in squad player for Venezuela. Certainly, they're not the strongest national team in South America, but, I mean, that's still something. It's very likely we're going to see Miguel Navarro playing in the Copa America next summer here in the U.S., so that'll be a fun way for Fire fans to see him in a bit of a different element. Uh, Brian Gutierrez, still very good. Still hasn't quite put it all together, but right now I think you'll take consistent 7 out of 10 performances from Gucci and not worry too much about it. Yeah, you know, and one of the good things that I think we saw in the Nashville game was even though Shakiri started nominally in the 10 and Gucci kind of nominally out on that left wing, they they were willing to sort of switch and it wasn't really it, it was it was fluid positioning. Absolutely, and you almost ended up with scenarios where it looked like Shakiri was taking a free kick where Shakiri would come way out left 
and Gucci would rotate in and they'd work the ball to Shakiri and trying to get crosses into, you'd have, you know, Kutsias, Guti, Holly Selassie, and maybe even Herbers all kind of crashing forward and kind of creating these artificial set piece-ish situations, which, especially in the modern game, that seems to be the way everybody wants to do it. And with, when you've got somebody who can deliver a dead ball like Jordan Shakiri can, that's something you can take advantage of. Um, Eastern Conference standings, what a mess. Um, currently, there is a nine-way tie on points alone. For, sorry, a five-way tie on points alone for the ninth spot. Um, the fire being one of those teams, Montreal, their upcoming opponent, currently on the top of the heap uh, based on, they've got, the, I believe, Montreal has one more win yeah, than the more. fire. They've and then it's, six. Yeah. and then it's, you know, goal difference and all sorts of other things in there. So what would the fire have to do in these next two games for us to feel good about where they are heading into the League's Cup slash All-Star break? We've got like a month and a half MLS break coming up here on the horizon. Last two games are home against Montreal tomorrow and then home versus Toronto on Saturday, which I don't say this often about the fire. That's a must-win game. That game against Toronto, who are a total and complete catastrophe right now, is a game they've got to win. So, I don't know, I four points, I think, would make me feel fine going into the break. How about you? I'd be okay with four points, but like, let's be honest. like, There's six points available here. Absolutely. Montreal has been better after being a car crash out of the gate they have figured some things out but they are again they're on the same number of points as the fire so we talked about you know is it a good thing that the that you know fabi with four goals is one goal off the lead in the team right now montreal doesn't have anybody more, with more than three and one of the guys tied for that lead is chinoso 04 the a guy other, who couldn't get on the bench for the fire. Right. The other guy is, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name, but he's been out injured since May and he's only got like 600 minutes this year. So when you can basically take three months out of your major league soccer season and still be tied for your team lead for scoring, like they, they just, it is crazy how many guys that team shipped away over the past year. It's weird. They're a team that's basically at this point playing for nil-nils and they're pretty good at it, but it's surprising given that their new coach, Hernan Losada, formerly of DC United, is kind of like a oppressing, aggressive coach um, by reputation. So yeah, it's an odd thing they've got, got going on in Montreal. They don't have a lot of attacking well, talent. And they just got a striker from LAFC, uh, like a U22 player. Oh yeah, Quadro uh, Poku, who yep. could be making his... Montreal debut, well, is expected actually to make his Montreal debut tomorrow night uh, against the Fire. I don't know how if he's going to start. I don't know what can really expect. Apoku looked dangerous often for LAFC, but that is a very crowded attacking group. And, you know, when you've got Vela and Buanga as your other two uh, members of a front three, there's not going to be a whole lot of room for expression from Apoku. He's a guy who can play a bit deeper. It'll be interesting to see how Montreal use him, I guess, is the big question. It's hard, So it's maybe a bit hard to know what the fire are going to get tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, I think it's probably going to be the same sort of system that we've seen from them so far, where Hernan Losada does like his team suppressed. He likes them to run really hard. That has given the team injury issues, and they've been definitely facing that bug down. Um, they, like, they want to try to get you with quick counters and punish you after you make it like after you make a turnover, they don't really have anyone that can punish you right now though. So like that, that, that part is just falling apart for them. So it's, it's a very winnable game. And against a team, the other teams that are tied with 26 points in the East aren't playing tomorrow. So it's, it's dead simple. If the fire win tomorrow, they go to sleep in a playoff spot and they stay in a playoff spot 
as long as they are as good or better than the teams that are then below them in the standings for the rest of the year. Yeah, you got the other two New York teams in there, and then I'm forgetting the last one uh, off the top of my head, who's also kind of in that jumble of teams currently in the middle of things. Again, it's a mess in the Eastern Conference. Cincinnati's lapping the field, basically. Toronto and Miami are behind yeah they're they're real bad miami though that's probably about to change very quickly we are about to get to your questions from discord and twitter but first a word from another one of our sponsor shady rays take on the sun with gear built to last our friends at shady rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price shady rays is is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn durable frames and extremely clear optics for all of your outdoor adventures and that's not all shady rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear every single pair is backed by a lost and broken replacements guarantee which is really helpful if you're someone like me who has a habit of losing your even more expensive sunglasses so if you lose or break a pair even on day one they will send you a brand new pair no questions asked so wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase together with their customers shady rays is providing much needed support to nonprofit partners across the U.S. through Shady Rays Impact, from building play sets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS the outdoor adventure of a lifetime. Shady Rays is making making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, you can also exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. No risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusive for CHGO listeners. Shady Shady Rays is offering, lost my spot there for a moment, apologies, is giving their best deal of the season. You can go to ShadyRays.com and use code CHGO for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades that have been rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Shady Rays, oh, excuse me, and that's, no. Kind of butchered that one. I've normally been pretty good at these ad reads. So again, that is code CHGO for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Okay, Tim, mailbag time. Shout out again to everybody on the Discord and on Twitter for sending us in your questions. We are going to start off with Michael C. from Discord. And Michael asks, can we expect the fire to push for a playoff spot? And if so, do we still add or is the roster set for this year? So I think we kind of just touched on the first part of that question, Tim. Can we expect the fire to push for a playoff spot? Yes. Nine teams make it out of the East. There's a jumble of teams there. The fire are just as prepared as any of them to make that playoff push. I don't think we expect the fire to suddenly fall away at any point. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously anything is possible in MLS, you know, as a team that was what, like in 12th or 13th place that beat the second team in the East last Saturday, you know, like it happens, but right now they are right in the thick of it. And again, like they can, they can be in a playoff spot and with some room to spare going into the league's cup break. So mm-hmm. whether they whether they get there or not right then, it doesn't really change the long-term math of the fire. Just need to keep on winning games and drawing fewer games, even if it means picking up the occasional loss here and there as a result. But yeah, they, they should be pushing for the playoffs. I mean, with nine out of 15 teams making it like you you just you have to be average and then you're in and like the fire just have to and then anything can happen once you get into the postseason uh as for are they going to add or is the roster set i think the usman dubia signing made a pretty clear statement from ownership that uh the current administration is not going to be allowed to make any signings with implications beyond this season so could the fire still add sure maybe there could be one or two more additions brought in but you're not going to see any long-term commitments. <clears throat> Excuse me. That DP striker isn't coming. 
this season. That's going to be an off-season purchase, if at all. So, no, I think this is kind of the team you get. Dumbia, not here yet, still working on some visa issues. Again, so maybe you get some death pieces, but Dumbia is going to be the last guy, I think, brought in who maybe finds a way into the starting 11. Yeah, I I, I would expect that Dumbia will be getting significant minutes. I, I know the team had sort of been considering some other changes around the midfield, and maybe that opens up some, some money for uh, getting a, a striker, though not a DP striker. It, it looks like just with... Federico Navarro out for a few weeks with an injury. Those plans are almost certainly going to be put on hold and they're going to be standing pat. Um, it means Dumbia will probably be getting some minutes and we'll be seeing what he can do at the MLS level. But, uh, you know, the, the problem is without spending like DP or or at least some significant amount of money, like you, the idea of like a depth striker being the guy that helps you is sort of like a, like a logical non-sequitur. So I don't know that it really makes sense for the team to try to find a guy who can play as a striker if he's not going to be that good. Right, and especially because when you look at the current striker pool, Casper Shabilko, expiring contract, Kai Kamara, is he going to play another season? It, that seems dubious. I mean, I know he wants the MLS goals record, but catching Wando seems kind of out of the question right now. He's going to get Landon Donovan. He's one goal away from that. So I would not be surprised if Kai hangs it up after this year. And then Kutius is the only nine on the roster, and you've got all sorts of flexibility to work with there. So yes, while that is the thing that would elevate the fire the most, don't expect anything before December or January on that front. All right, thank you, Michael, for your question. Next up from Discord, Jack TC asks, how fast would you ship Shakiri off to the Saudi League? Uh, well... I've, I wanted him shipped to Switzerland before this season, and uh, that didn't happen. Um, my answer to this is, would if, you know, the Saudis have been throwing around a just hilarious amount of money. Um, there's about $13 million of salary left on Jordan Shakiri's current contract, which runs through next year. Um, uh, you know, if they... if. If a club in Saudi Arabia wanted to simply buy out the remainder of that contract and pay a small transfer fee on top of it, I think I'd be okay with that. I don't know what Shakiri's open market value is at this point. It's probably not a ton. So, I mean, if he if he wanted to go and it made financial sense for the fire, sure, let him go. I don't think there's a I don't think you would say no if the right offer came in. But I also don't think you're at a point where you're like aggressively looking to get rid of Shakiri right now. You know, I think part of that is I don't think you can really get the offer to come in. And and the way that it works with MLS rules around the, the transfer fee that we paid to bring him here and all of that, we wouldn't really be getting any GAM back, which is part of the equation that you'd want when you're shipping a guy, especially like a DP off. Not that that's the biggest factor. Um, you know, we've we've seen Shakiri playing, doing some of those Shakiri things in the past couple of games. It hasn't resulted in him getting on the score sheet other than that PK. Uh, but I, I think the best hope is that we just start seeing some more of that and it starts connecting in the right places. Some of that better sort of like link up play with Guti, mm -hmm. I, I think and Guti kind of growing into the game more, maybe we'll start seeing that more because he just has never really had to be the guy primarily carrying the load for a team. And that's what the fire asked of him. So maybe with that pressure off with him kind of like getting into the final year of that deal, We'll just start seeing better play from him. And I think that's the best hope for the fire. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't break it up this year. If the right offer came in in the offseason and you've got time to roster plan for uh, a future without Shakiri, great. Not right now, though. So how fast would I ship Shakiri to Saudi Arabia? Uh, not for at least like six months, I yeah, guess. I, I guess is my answer I mean, to again, that question. If the, right, if the right offer came in, I mean, we are still talking about a guy on a DP contract with all of that. And and in terms of like the fire's future, it, it 
it sort of looks like we're going to need some significant roster turnover with whoever's making those decisions. But I, I just don't see somebody offering enough money to make it worth a fire's while to. to make I, I think in a, unless somebody came in with like a $10 million offer, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, one final question from Discord. This one is from Austin. And Austin asks, what more would you like to see the fire do to grow soccer and their presence in Chicago even more? I like this question a lot, Tim, because a, a comment I make to a lot of people is that I think the fire in the last two years have basically gotten everything right except the team that's on the field playing the actual games. There's been more community investment for sure. They're getting a training facility built close to Soldier Field. That is huge. Just in general, it feels like the relationship with the fans and just with the community at large has healed quite a bit from the state it was in a couple of years ago. Um, But you and I were talking about this off show beforehand, and I think it's an interesting question something in terms of an impact the fire could make on Chicago soccer. I have for a while, and I've said this, I believe on the show before, wanted to see Joe Mansueto put up the relatively small amount of money to purchase the Chicago Red Stars. The The Red Stars, as you know, you should be listening to CHGO Red Stars for sure. Sandra, Claire, and the guests they bring in are all great. You should definitely be tuning, in, tuning into that show as well. That team is in a dire spot. Uh, their their value is only decreasing by the day of them not yet being sold. And, you know, if you talk about, you know, the fire have more than the resources and in terms of where the growth potential of soccer in Chicago is, much like when we think about the fire, where they were back in 2017 at kind of the peak of them being really good and getting a glimpse of the foothold they could have in the Chicago sports scene. You've seen the same thing with the Red Stars in the past. If you specifically go back to say like 2018, 2019 with some of those best teams that were making run to NWSL championship games and all of that ground has been lost since it's really bare bones. It's been some really impressive support from the fans who have stuck with them. But basically that's a team that's going to need to be rebuilt from the ground up by whoever takes it on. So I, I really think, even though Mansueto has said in the past that he's not really interested, again, I, I it, to me, it just still seems like such a no-brainer from both a PR and a financial perspective, especially where the NWSL is going. You've got teams selling for eight figures now, and you could probably pick up the Red Stars for, I mean, I'm gonna, this is going to be a total shot in the dark. You could probably pick that team up for between five and $10 million right now. Um, but you made a good point when we were discussing earlier that while high level, that might make a lot of sense. Logistically, you can understand why it might not be able to happen. Right. Because, you know, like that Joe Mansuito seems committed to Soldier Field being the home for the fire for the time being. But mm-hmm. like no one thinks it's a perfect venue. Like the team is having to schedule matches, you know, at, at weird times of the season. Sometimes too many early home games, not enough when the weather's nice to try to avoid the Bears playing at the same time and getting kind of kicked back to Bridgeview. Bridgeview wasn't a great permanent home for the fire. The The Red Stars have been amongst the laggards of in the NWSL in attendance, they even are, when they were good. And right now they are far, they are the worst supported team in attendance in NWSL. They're averaging about 3,600 fans a game. At a time when the league's attendance has grown significantly over the past few well, years. Especially much like in MLS, uh, you're looking at some expansion teams. So in MLS, you think Austin, you think Cincy, you think Nashville, you think LAFC. All of those buildings are full basically all the time. NWSL, Portland's been the league standard for a long time. San Diego is killing it. Angel City's not far behind them in terms of attendance. So yeah, the, the and Kansas City's building a soccer specific stadium for the for their women's team. Like it's it's 
becoming a different league than it was just a few years ago. And the money you're going to need, not only whether it's Joe Mansueto or somebody else, whether it whoever takes over the Red Stars, there is going to be some needed big investment. But to the point I think you were going to get yeah, to, where do you put them? Because Bridgeview right. isn't working out as a good location for them for their home. It's the same issues the fire had, but magnified. It doesn't. I don't really see them playing at Soldier Field, and we already have an issue of there being too many events at Soldier Field with mm-hmm. fire playing there. So, do you really want to be adding, you know, that many more games on top of it? Um, so that's not really an answer. And then, do you then what? Like, so you're you're paying for the fire to move to the Soldier Field, but you're not paying for the Red Stars to move out of Bridgeview. It just seems like you're not treating your two teams in Chicago equally in that point, and it just becomes there's not an easy solution. Like, th- there's not a good parcel of land that can just be developed instantly into a soccer specific stadium in a location that makes sense for fans. And I don't know what the solution to that problem is, but I think the fact that is that Joe Mansueto doesn't either, and he doesn't want to make it his problem at this point. Which is fair. The other thing is, and we've alluded to this on the show before, uh, the refinanced lease in Bridgeview is coming due. I don't know if it's this year or next year, but when Mansueto took over the team, I believe he turned it from a 10 year, a 10 year remaining to a four or five year remaining on that deal. And so that's in the next year, there will be no more fire financial ties to that building. Now, maybe they will extend it. The team does still have offices there. They right. still do use it for some games. So that's another thing to keep an eye out for. And that could affect the Red Star situation in the next year is if the fire are going to keep using that building, something new has to be agreed in order for them to to, to stay there right. once they have paid off that new refinanced agreement they have with the city of Bridgeview. Uh, We're running low on time here, so we're going to whip through these last three really, really fast. Uh, First one from Twitter, Jiggly asks, is Fabian Herbers actually good, or is he just the only guy making these light runs into the box? Uh, My answer to that question is yes. Um, as and a yes, yeah, as a, <laughs> yes and yes. Uh, as a Chelsea fan, I would point to Frank Lampard is a goal scoring midfield legend, largely because he made an entire career out of arriving late into the box and just hitting the crap out of the soccer ball. Um, Fabian Herbers has been doing a lot of that lately. So, yeah, I think I think Fabi's found a niche when he's played deeper that he can be really effective in the attack from that position. Yeah, and he's still, you know, a lot faster than a lot of guys that you'd be having in that position in the midfield. So I like that energy that he still brings. You know, it, it, you're right. Like, it's one and the same thing. Like, if that's, even if it just seems like you're getting lucky, if you're manufacturing luck on a consistent enough basis, it's the same thing as being good. Yeah, because, and in the end of the day, if Fabi's scoring goals from midfield, I don't think we really care uh, how it's happening. We will take the goals. And then finally, we've got a double header of questions here from Peter on Twitter. Uh, this first one's real quick. Are the Red Kits coming back? Uh, yes, they are. The club actually responded to a couple people back when they uh, debuted the new, new crest last season red kits are coming back while there's not a confirmed date uh the fire are getting a new home kit next year and adidas have had the full two years since the fire made the crest change and announced their intent to do that so again it's not confirmed yet but there's every reason to believe the fire will be wearing red at home next season and then finally from peter he also asks more seriously is there anyone on fire two we should really be paying attention to, be excited about? Um, Justin Reynolds, Andre's younger brother, made his made the bench for the first time in MLS this season against Nashville. So that's something. But I, I think, Tim, it's really hard to measure that because the answer is, on the one hand, no. But on the other hand, a lot of guys who are the same age 
as most of these players on fire two have already made impacts for the fire just ahead of schedule. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like we, one of the guys that you would be talking about normally in that situation has already been sold to the premier league for a lot of good money. Actually, you know, two of them, if you, if you think that like there's an alternate version of the universe where you sign a 17 year old kid out of South America and it takes him a year or two before he's ready for the first team, let alone like making the first team the second half of that first year and then making it to the premier league in the off season. So yeah, that, that doesn't normally happen that quick. And then you've got uh, Chris Brady and Brian Gutierrez. I mean, basically the 2003 class of fire Academy kids was just stupid. Good. And the fact that three of them have basically already hit like you can't, you got to just take that to the bank. You've got two goalkeepers at that age, which is crazy. Plus Guti, anything beyond that is gravy. So while it would be great to see some of these kids, I mean, Javi Casas, Sergio Orihel, Misael Rodriguez, we could go on and on and on. It would be great to see some of them make the league in terms of the law of averages. The fire are already out ahead on that specific age group. The other thing is they do have the opportunity to potentially get some people in that they've been using the fire two kind of uniquely to get guys from other sort of countries that are not really primary, like MLS targets. Like I'm thinking like Amari Glasgow who plays for the Guyani, a Guyanese national team. And they would have made been in the gold cup if the team had just made it for that last stage, you know, like, so I don't think he's about to break into the main fire lineup, but it's, I like that the team is willing to kind of experiment with fire two and look some places they normally don't look for players to see if any of them hit. Absolutely. So, I mean, credit to anybody checking out those Fire 2 games. You know, they're all played in Bridgeview. You can watch them for free on MLS season. Or are they behind the paywall? I, I don't think they're, they're behind the paywall, uh, but I also have had issues finding them after the fact. So that's kind of weird. Um, yeah. Anyway, they're out there. Tune in if you're interested. They're cheap tickets to go to. It's great. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. Like if you've got young kids who you're trying to bring to soccer games, it's a really easy environment yeah. for that sort of I thing. I think they still let you like bring your own food and stuff in too, which is really kind of unique for a, a professional sporting event these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a good family event. Absolutely. And again, you might be watching some stars of Fire Future. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of CHG of Fire. Uh, Tim Holtzy, thanks so much for coming in. Where can people find your work and what you're up to? Uh, MinuteRed97.com or you can find me at sing underscore electric on Twitter. Excellent. So we'll hopefully see Tim down the road again this season here on CHGO Fire. A reminder, two upcoming games before the League's Cup and All-Star break tomorrow night at home against the Montreal Impact, or sorry, Club de Foot Montreal. Not even, just CF Montreal now. See, oh, just CF because again. Rebrand, rebrand. The, yeah, well, we're familiar with that. That's the rebrand derby tomorrow night. The former employees of Georgie Mihailovic derby as well, although that's a mouthful. And then on Saturday, they close out the first half of the season at home once again against the mess that is Toronto Football Club. So check out those games. Maybe we can get the fire going into the break with six more points. And two weeks from now, we will be talking, I believe, some Leagues Cup as the Fire prepare for their debut in this new and exciting, maybe, tournament between MLS and Liga MX. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Alex Campbell, and we'll see you in two weeks.